Father, this morning, that once again, that, that no doubt that we're your vessels, but we desperately need you today. We desperately need you to not only be in this place and not only to open our ears to hear, but we desperately need you to give us the ability to, to communicate your word correctly. And I pray that your word will find our hearts in period, not only in revelation, but information as well that, that it may relate and it may align to your divine will in our lives. And so we rehearse today the things that Jesus has already said that we pray for one another this morning. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the giftings of these people. Uh, we just pray that blessings upon their homes in Christ's name. And the people of God said, amen. 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 Give the Lord a praise offering this morning, would you please? Amen. On the, when you go to a picture show, I haven't been in a long time, but they'll have, they'll have the ratings. Now then, you know, it used to be that if, if it was PG-13, you know, it, it was all right. I don't think it's all right anymore, but we're going to rate, we're going to, for the next few weeks or months, uh, I told you a couple of weeks ago, I can't next week and I'm not for Christmas, but we'll pick it back up. I, I want to talk to you about some things that, that I've known for 20 years and never really want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it now. I want to talk about it. And, and if you don't agree, look it up. Just look it up. This, is, this is, has everything to do with the life of the believer. And I want to encourage you this morning that that write things down. Don't call me. Don't post things. Just write it down and I'll answer any question you have. And we're going to cover a whole lot the next few months. And some things that will be said will, will really get your attention and you'll say, I, I don't receive that and accept it. I'm with you. Neither did I for a long time. But I will tell you one thing. This is, has everything to do with the performance of the believer. I am a believer. I've been called by God, committed by God, and hopefully you have too. But what this is, this is the, the litmus test. This is the dividing line in the sand of the professors and the possessors of the truth. And make no mistake about it, you people, when they come and know truth, you cannot hide in your camouflage coveralls long before God says, I see you back there. So we began this and we will begin this for a while in Romans 1 and 21. And this is how we began it because he's dealing with the Roman church because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. We talked about this. They didn't separate God. There's only one like him. There's none other than God. Only he is holy. Only he is righteous. And when they knew him or knew about him, they did not glorify him as God and neither were they thankful. So God darkened their heart. So, so we said last week, can you really, and, and we know this for a fact, Romans 6 and 23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Amen. So if, if eternal life is the gift of God, which it is, then it comes only through Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. All right. So I asked this question. Can you truly be thankful for a gift that you're responsible in getting yourself? And the answer is no. The answer is no. And this, is, this, this, this mindset has contaminated the church and it's infiltrated you. You're not thankful. We have not become thankful for what God has done in our life. Number one is because that we have not set God aside and glorified him. There's none like him. And number two, because somehow, some way we have been taught and programmed that our salvation was brought about by our own doings. And when we talk about salvation, you go, I decided. And because I decided I got saved and no wonder you're not thankful. You might as well smile or smear or grin or something. 
But I've been proving to you that we that were dead in trespass and sin, that cross is the word dead. We are dead. We're a corpse. That we had no ability to cry out. We had no ability to come to God. We had no ability whatsoever to say anything to God. But out of his love for us that he called us out of darkness into the marvelous light. We that are here today. Me. And that's why I'm thankful. And I'll continue to be thankful. Because keep in mind this morning that salvation, it works. It works with our faith, but not because of our faith. Salvation, it, it, it works through our faith. So one day that we come to church and we hear the right words and we say, I want to give my life to Christ. And that's a wonderful thing. But it's not because of. God doesn't respond to anything. God acts and then we react. God opened the ears of our heart one day at the right moment, at the right time, whether it be at the altar or driving down a road in a truck, the Holy Spirit says, the, the lid on your septic tank stinks, doesn't it? And I go, yes, I'm pathetic. And God said, don't you want to change? And I said, I do. And you say, man, I didn't know I smelled this bad. God said, I've been smelling you your whole life. It's time for change. And at that moment, the ears of your heart have been opened. And that was the moment that you respond to God only because God initiated your response to him. What did you have to say being born into this natural life? And the answer is nothing. It was up to your mother and father. What did you have to say and be born into your spiritual life? Nothing. First John chapter 1, 11 and 12 said it is not for as many as received him unto him. He gave the power to become the son of God and not for the will of man or your own desire or your own ancestry. But it is God who calls. Am I saved? I am. Am I thankful? You better know it. And in that thing, because I know now this nomenclature that makes sense that it is God who calls. So I want to disarm a whole lot of you because we're going to answer a ton of questions. And you may say, I don't accept this. Fine, take it up with my boss. I don't care. But I'm trying to diffuse a lot of arguments because right now you're saying, well, what about whosoever? I can't hardly wait to get to that point. What about all those that call upon the name of the Lord? Stay with me after Christmas. Don't resign the church. Stay with me. We'll deal with it all. What about John 3, 16? Yes, but not today. I can't hardly wait. John 17, verse number nine. Jesus is heading down to the Kidron Valley about to be betrayed and the soldiers are about to take him. Notice what it says. Jesus says, I pray for them, these 11. I pray not for the world, but for these that you have given me because they are yours, thine. I don't think Jesus spoke King James, but Jesus is looking down and he's having a prayer with his father and he said, I'm praying for these 11 that you gave me and I'm not praying for the world. The first thing you're going to say is that, well, I thought we were supposed to be praying with, for the world. I'm just doing what Jesus doing. I'm praying for you this morning. And I'm not praying for the world. And you may say, what about the world? Forget the world. Forget them. I'm talking about you. And I want to know this morning, who's got your heart? Are you just here going through the motions? And if you are, we're going to deal with that. Because I'm getting old. You understand that? I'm getting old. Moses had them for 40 years. I'm going on year 36. I'm getting old here. And he said, I'm praying not for the world, but I'm praying for these you've given me. Verse number 20, watch this. I'm going to disarm a lot of you. And neither do I pray for this, these 11 alone, but I'm going to pray also for which shall believe on me through their word. So the question at hand is this. We don't know who God will call. We don't need to know. Our job is to sow water and leave the rest up to God. I told somebody before church, no farmer takes a sack of seed and go, I wonder which one of these seeds will live and which one will die. I don't know. I don't know which seed is good and which seed is not good. I don't know. 
But you know what? It's not my responsibility to guess. It's my responsibility to plant and water. And I'll just leave that process up to Mother Earth and God himself. My job, if I believe in divine election, and I do, 100%, and you may choke on it, good. We'll resuscitate you and set you back down. But if I believe in divine election because it's in the Bible and we're going to talk about it. And I told you last week, when I first got into the church, I asked the question and said, we're not going to talk about it. Why can't we talk about it? Somebody said, are you Pentecost? I hope so. It means 50. I'm past Pentecost. I'm 64 now. Oh, Pentecost is spooky. If, if I get the Holy Ghost, will it make me goofy? No, you're already goofy. Jesus said, I'm not just praying. I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for these 11. And then he says a little bit further on his way down. He said, and by the way, I'm not just praying for these 11, but I'm praying for all of those that will believe on me because of their testimony. Here's the deal. Who will God call? I have no idea. That's not my job. I don't even need to know. My job is to plant the gospel, sow the gospel, water the gospel, perform the gospel, live a good life, declare the gospel, live for Jesus every day, and I'll let God take care of the rest. That's your job. And anytime you say, well, if God already knows, then why should I do anything? And you don't do anything. Then you become a disobedient servant, and then you will be beaten with many stripes. And we'll discuss that in about week 15. I don't want that. I've already took a licking from God and I don't like it. Anybody ever been disobedient to God? I'm not looking. I know the guys on the corner has. They don't have to say anything. (laughs) So John 15 and 16 is where we begin. And we will go many times to this. Jesus said in this discourse, he said, you have not chosen me. Oklahoma, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you. This is the same word using in the Old Testament. David chose five smooth stones out of a quarry of rocks. Jesus looks around of all the sea and manatee and he said, oh yeah, by the way, I want to tell you that you did not choose to follow me, but I chose you. We didn't have a sign-up sheet anywhere at the front desk to follow me. I chose you. I selected you out of a quarry of humanity to follow me and to fulfill my divine purposes. So that's my, that's my position biblically, if you don't know that. And here's the deal. Here's the spoiler alert. I've, I have believed this since about the third year of my salvation, and you didn't even know it. But you definitely knew there's something different about me. Turn to somebody and say, he's different. I'll tell you that, He's different. I've always known it. And the people that used to come here, especially the leadership that's not here, is that we butted heads against this and they left. And I watched their life fall to pieces because they butted heads with the word of God. And we'll find out in a few weeks what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He lost his mind for seven years when he came in contact with taking the glory from God that didn't belong to him. Some of you have butted your heads against God and said, it's all me. And you know people that have absolutely went nuts. They've lost their mind. They become things they thought they would never become. Why? It's because they have rejected and opposed the word of God concerning his salvation towards us. Absolutely. So divine election versus free will. The free will doctrine. I call them free willers. There's a lot of free willers going on in the church. I'm telling you, boy, they're doing what they want to do. Understand. But I want to discuss not the free will, but we will. We're not going to bore you to death. I'm going to try to make this simple and entertaining for you so you just won't run out of here being like that kid on Home Alone, you know, just screaming and hollering. The free will theology basically is in this statement. It is the supposed power or capacity of humans to make decisions or perform actions independently of any outside influences, prompting, or persuasions. I put in here, this is the doctrine of the Wizard of Oz. The Grand Wizard said, you always had it. I'm going to tell you what, if there's any holiness or godliness or righteousness in you, you didn't always have it. We found that in Romans 3, none are righteous, none seeks after God. Your righteousness is as filthy rags. 
We were not born with it. We were born with the sin nature. And as I told you, there is a, there is a process of free will. And we talked about this last week. You can say, I want to cross the, the road. I want to cross the bridge. You can cross the bridge and you can walk, but you can't fly across the bridge because it's not in your nature to fly like a bird. It's in your nature to walk. It's not in your nature to long for God because it never was in your nature because we were born with a sin nature. And you can flap your wings all you want to, but you will never get off the ground because it's not our nature. So quit acting like you're something that you're not. Oh yeah, I, I flew to Seattle. Did you know? I bet your arms got tired. Why don't you just say, I got in the airplane and the airplane took me to Seattle. And you're going to say, so what's the big deal? Here's the big deal that we are not glorifying God dealing with our new birth. It is God who calls. It is God who wills. It, it is God who commissions. It's not us in any way, shape or form. God works with our faith, but he is the causative for our faith to, to come alive. And he and only here opens up our ears of our heart that we will respond to his call. Thank you. The Apostle Paul deals with this in 1 Corinthians 3. He said, the analogy is that there's a hundred men laying on the floor. Some are asleep and some are dead. How you know the difference? When, when, the, when the master will open up his voice and say something and those that are asleep will wake up and those that are dead will stay dead. How will you know those that are dead in Christ and those that are only asleep in Christ? is that when you raise your voice and speak the word of truth, that if you're only sleeping as mere men, Paul said that you'll be awakened to truth and you'll come about. But for those that have never been born again or never called by God, then you'll continue in that state of necros or dead things. But hopefully one day and prayerfully that people will answer the call of God. I'm not, I'm not, picking and choosing who is and who's not. I'm just telling you, I have been called from the foundation of the earth, predestinated by God. Amen. I'm glorified through the image of his son, Jesus. And I'm thankful. Amen. Grace doesn't teach us to be great. Great teaches to be grateful. Man. So what does basically divine election theology we're not going to give you one through Britannica because that's what the free willers do. And so if you don't know, there's no free will in the, in the Bible. There's only one word free will in the Bible. It's dealing with an offering. I don't know if you know that. There's only one time the word free will is used in the Bible and dealing with an offering. Is there a free will doctrine in the Bible? Yes, it's God. He can do whatever he wants to. And we found out last week in Romans, not only he can do what he wants to, but we found that is God unrighteous? The answer is never. We may not like it and we may not understand it, but we don't have to. It's the way it is. How many times you get in the car, you put the kids in the car and you go get in the car. Where are we going? You don't need to know. You just get in the car. <laughs> well, we're not going anywhere. You, we're not going anywhere, Dad, until you tell where we're going. Oh, is that a fact? <laughs> well, let me warm you up and wear you out and then you get in the back seat. Yeah. So here's the divine election theology. Here it is. It's six verses. Romans chapter nine, verse 10 through 16. Yet before the twins were born and had done anything good or bad, this is Jacob and Esau, in order that the purposes of God in election might stand. What was this? Not by works, but because of he who calls, God called. She was told that the older will serve the younger. And just as written that Jacob I've loved and Esau I've hated. Remember we said this? Esau turned out to be a great, powerful nation. How could God hate Esau? And he becomes rich and famous and powerful because the Bible says that Esau was never disciplined by God. God constantly disciplined Jacob. God never once disciplined Esau. He was powerful, he was great, and he was wealthy. But God never disciplined. Hebrews chapter 12 said, Whom God loves, he will chastise, mastigu, he will leave a mark on your spiritual bow, honey. Has God ever chastised you? Don't answer that. Let's start over. Has God never disciplined you? 
You can sit and accept every false doctrine, every pagan practice that comes to the church, and you're not moved by it. I'm going to tell you what, you may be in trouble. Oh, oh, watching X-ray movies don't bother me. God's never convicted me over that. I can live like hell and God doesn't bother me. God, and I'm great. I make more money. I got more cars, got bigger house than anybody. And, and all this stuff is going on. Doesn't bother me. Wow. When he said, I hated Esau means I never corrected him. I never disciplined him. If God disciplines you, Mr. Miller, it's only because he loves you. <laughs> Mr. Miller, if, if God disciplines you a lot, like every day, it's only because of the sin nature, but he loves you a lot. He loves you enough to not let you take on the character and attributes of your Esau brother that he never and, and, and Jacob said, how come I'm always getting a licking and you're not even dealing? He said, because I love you and I don't care what he does. Whew. I love, it doesn't even make sense. Someone would say, oh, God loves us so much that he'll let us go to hell if we want to. That don't even make sense. Oh, I'll let you decide. Will you go to heaven or hell? I'll let you decide. That's like my grandson says, I want to ride my bicycle on the interstate because the, the pavement's smooth. Help yourself. I just want you to enjoy your bicycle. We wouldn't do that. We put up boundaries and fences, would we not? All right, let's get on. Verse number 14. So what do we say then? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he said to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. Verse 16. And it does not therefore depend on the human desire or effort, but it's all on God. He said, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. But here's the answer. He said, it doesn't depend on human decision or emotions or tears or anything else. He said, it's all up to God. That is the doctrine of divine election. It's a divine calling. It's a sovereign calling. That God selects. We talked about this last week. God's election, you move the S, it's called God selects. Now that's going to scare a bunch of you. I understand. That's going to make you run out of here. I encourage you not to do that. What it should do is solidify your position in Christ. Not that we have a license to sin, but I'll tell you what, if the Spirit of God's in you, you don't want to sin. And if you do sin, it makes you sick to your stomach. But unlike Peter's dog back to its own vomit, that's not who we are. Peter said, as a dog returns to his vomit. You ever seen that? I can give a live demonstration if you want to one day up here. The dog eats something that makes him sick and he pukes it up and he says, well, it ain't that bad. He eats it again. That's not who we are. There's people in the church that's that way, but that's not who we are. It makes us sick and we want away from it. So divine election has everything to do that it is God who calls. It is God who justifies. It is God who initiates. And it's up to God. It's not up to human decision or reasoning. It's up to God. And as he said, that Jacob I have loved and Esau that I have hated. Now I said last week, and I did, and I said it clear. And it made some people, it really ruffled up some feathers, but it's okay. I told you from day one, I hope it does. So he said, I want you to look it up, that God hates sinners. And some of you, absolutely, your head spun around like that woman on the exorcist. I mean, you went complete pearl circle. You go, what? I understand. When I first heard it, I, I, I was mad too years ago. I'm not telling you anything that I, I, I hadn't experienced myself. And, and, and somebody said, God hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. No. No. That's a cliche. You, that's the word, Gail, a cliche. You, you, you know the church knows more cliches than they do scripture. You know, God helps those that helps himself. No. Cleanliness is next to godliness. No, it's a pretty good deal, but no, it's not in the Bible. Last Sunday, I said God hates sinners. And that really infuriates you. Okay. Does God hate sinners? Well, you'd say, of course not. And then I would look at you and you go, uh, maybe. And then I pull my glasses off and you go, maybe not. 
There's two words in the Old Testament for hate. One is used about 98% of the time and one is used about 2%. Let me give you the 2% of them. This is the Hebrew word for, and we don't have it. It's called satan. We had it, but Ron, don't do anything. Genesis number 27. Don't write it. Just lay it right there. Esau hated Jacob. Satan. It's very seldom used. I mean, it's, it's, it's a 2 percenter. Esau hated Jacob. Now, would you agree that Esau hated Jacob because of the birthright deal? Okay, that's what it says. But that word, tasam, is a Hebrew word that means an opponent. An opponent. And it's a term that we can use for in a football game, if you will. Two teams are playing, but they really don't hate one another. They, they are against one another and they have a, a job to do, but actual, I mean, they're not carrying around shivs in, in the, in the huddle or in the, in the pile stabbing one another. That's not the word. When it says that Esau hated Jacob to some, it means that, that it, it was an opponent. It was more competitive than it was anything. He got the blessing and the birthright and I'm getting it back one way or the other. But there's another word for hated. And that's used 98% of the time. Sonne is the word, and it means public enemy number one. It was a term that was used in wartime. So don't call me at 3 a.m. and say, would you say that again? I will not. Take pictures on the screen. Well, we don't have it. Then yes, call me, and I'll let Gayla tell you. And when I say that God hates sinners, watch this. Somebody's going to tell you is the word love less. That's not what it says. It is dealing love less with Jacob and Esau, but not with Psalms and the other 98%. And I need you to be very clear on this. I don't just say things from the pulpit because I can't control my tongue. God hates the sinner as much as he does sin. And you go, that's unheard of. Okay, just stay with me. Psalms chapter number five, verse four through six. And you go, well, that's Old Testament. There's only one book. It just happens to have a divider in the middle of it. Psalms chapter five, verse four through six. We're going to give you about three translations, so pick one. For thou art not a God that has pleasure in wickedness. Neither shall evil dwell with thee or evil ones. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers. Now, I got my glasses off, Kenny, but does that say God hates iniquity? No. God hates workers of iniquity. Sane, he, this is public enemy number one against God. Workers of iniquity. The foolish shall not stand in his sight. Thou hatest. Thou shalt destroy them that speaketh leasing or loose talking. The Lord will abhor bloody and a deceitful man. Let's go to the next translation. It gets easier. For you're not a God who is pleased with wickedness, with you evil People are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and the deceitful, you, O oh Lord, love. <laughs> Detest. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. It means no evil persons dwell with you. The boastful and the arrogant will not stand in your sight. You Hate all who do evil. 
you destroy those who tell lies. The Lord detests and rejects the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. So now then tell me that the Lord loves the sinner and he hates the sin. How many loves the, 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 the Israelites coming out of Egypt story? Don't we love that? Do you know that story? It's a great story. You mean explain it to you? Are you good with it? The children of Israel been there about almost 400 years, 200 something years, really. It's 400 when he told Abraham. But how many loves that story? They're coming out of Egypt. You like that story? Do you like that story? Are the rest of you, are you illiterate to that story? We got God's chosen people. We got that. We, we, we talked about this. Is it, is it unfair that God has a chosen people? We talked about it last week. You say it's not fair. Really? No one in the Bible said God is fair. He's, he's equity. But all right. Um, so they're coming out of Egypt. Great. Who's responsible for killing the firstborn? Don't answer it. You hypocrites that are sitting in this church house right now, railing me because I make insinuations and biblical scriptures about that God deals with the wicked in a way that we don't deal with them today. I told somebody, you just don't read far enough in the back of the book. It's the same book. Jesus is not apologizing for his father. Who's responsible for the death of the firstborn of the Egyptians? Don't answer that. And when they got out into the wilderness, when they got out to the Red Sea, three days in journey, and he opened up the waters and the people of God crossed over and you're going, yay, yay. And when they got to the other side, the water was still parted and here come Pharaoh and his army. Who was responsible for drowning all of the Egyptians in the Red Sea. And you're going, yay, yay. God, you killed them all because you hated them. Wow. David, Barak, Samson, Gideon, Samuel. He told Samuel, dealing with Agag, chopping the pieces. Cut every one of them up. Kill them all. Man, woman, animal, kill them all. Here comes Saul said with the bleeding of the sheep, we say the best for you. And he said, if you don't kill Agag, he'll kill you. Who was responsible? And God told him to do this. So, so I'm just begging you, before you throw me out of, of, of this church house, understand God has people that he's always had his sight against them. And he dealt with them. You don't kill people you love. So all through the Old Testament that we have, I mean, we have a long list of these people that you don't even think about. You don't even think about. You just say and you rehearse it and you don't even think about those. Somebody said, oh, I hate sinners. No, he didn't hate sinners. Really, read your Bible. Turn off them goofballs. And so you're, you, you may say, well, then what, what kind of satisfaction you get out of that? I get no satisfaction out of that. All I do is I say, God, I'm, I'm one of those that should deserve separation, punishment, and hell. But for some reason, you chose me, and I'm thankful and grateful for that. It's kind of like those two turkeys at Christmas. You know, we let one go, we let one live. And I'm just glad I'm alive here. Psalms 11, verse 5. The Lord examines the righteous. Matter of fact, the verse before it says, the eye of the Lord is upon the righteous. Examine them, making sure he's, he's got a good eye on you. The Lord examines the righteous. But the wicked, those who love violence, for those that are on the airway, he hates with a passion. Those who love violence, those who love wickedness, those who love evil, God hates with a passion. It doesn't say he hates the evil. He said, I hate anyone. I hate those that are full of evil, that are full of wickedness, and that are full of violence. That's hard to swallow, isn't it? Especially in a New Testament church. 
Some of you are visiting, you go, what in the world has that guy been swallowing? Understand? So, the question this morning, when I ask you this, and I'm asking for a friend, I guess. What about the verse in the New Testament where it says, Christ died for the ungodly? That's a great question. And I'm glad you asked it. So let's read it. Romans chapter 5, verse number 6. For when we were yet without strength or the ability to do anything, in due time or in the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So you may say, well, see there, Reverend? While the world was ungodly, died for us. I'm, I'm with you, and I understand that. But here's what we need to do. Welcome to class, class. Who is the we? Don't be going to my mailbox and read my letters. They're, that's not speaking to you. I told them before church, you can open, go to my mailbox and it says, you want a new car. Got my name on the envelope. You take it down to the dealership and said, here, I want to claim my new car. And that guy said, wonderful. Let's see your driver's license. Your last name is Miller. My name's Ham. It doesn't work. Who, what we is he speaking to? Let's get it right. If we're, if we're going to talk about it, let's get it right. While we were without strength, while we were impotent, while we were necros in the spiritual things of God, Christ died for we. We were ungodly. We are born in sin. We, the righteous now, were born in sin and we were ungodly. So we're going to read 11 verses. And this is what I want you to do. Punch somebody and say, stay awake. I'll never come back, but stay awake. We're going to emphasize these personal pronouns. There's three of them. We, us, and ours. Not them or they. Are y'all with me? Here we go. We're going to emphasize it. Number one. Who are the we? Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we, we, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wait a minute. Go back. Who's the we? We that have been justified by faith through Christ. There's no they involved. Who is the we? He's speaking to the we. The we's are there. Who are the we? We that have been justified through Jesus Christ, we have peace of God. He's speaking to those people who has been justified through the atonement work of Christ. Forget about everybody outside on the street corner. He's dealing with everyone, man or woman, that has had their sins forgiven through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and he calls them justified. Don't get it confused. We're dealing with the justified. So therefore, being justified, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Go. By whom also we have access by faith into his grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of, of the glory of God. Not only so, but we glory in tribulation. Woo, also. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience, experience, experience, hope. And hope makes us not ashamed or disappointed because that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. Don't, don't leave there. Go back. The love of God is shed in who? Our heart given by the Holy Ghost to who? Us. We are us. Not them or they. If you're lost this morning, I'm not even talking to you. I'll get to you later. Next verse. For when we were yet without strength or impotent or necros, we were dead. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for us. He's speaking to about us. 
Yeah. Go on. For scarcely will a righteous man will do and die, but yet preadventure will a good man, some would even dare to die. Talking about Christ. But God commended his love towards us. The word commended, it means take dead aim with a bow and arrow. It ain't, it ain't taking a shotgun and shooting in the air and saying, oh, I hope somebody will believe this message. God said, I know exactly. Bible says this, that the election of God is sure. The foundation of God's sure on the election. He knows who are his. Peter says it. But God commended his love towards us, took dead aim. In fact, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What's this? Leave it there. God took dead aim of his love towards Jody Ham, that while Jody Ham was still a sinner, dead in trespasses and sin, Jesus Christ died for Mr. Ham. Continue. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. Keep it going. For if when we were enemies, we are, remember, hated, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, Jesus, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. He called us enemies of God. He called us the enemies of God. He called us the enemies of God. But through Jesus, we now have been reconciled to God because of Jesus. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we now have received the atonement. Remember what we talked, see the word atonement? At one with God. The word M-E-T in the Greek means with. You separate them. At O-N-E comma with God. Atonement means we are at one with God. Atonement. Sixteen times, if he wasn't counting, because some of you were napping and some of you are angry, it's all right. Some of you are sitting there in disbelief. It's okay. But 16 times, he uses the personal pronouns, we, us, and ours. When it says that Christ died for the ungodly, who is he talking about? He's talking about the audience that was set before him. We were born in sin. We were enemies of God. We were born in sin. But because of Christ and he commended his love for us specifically, now then, he has called our name. Our ears of our hearts have been opened. We heard his call. Remember about Samuel as a boy? God kept calling. He was confused. And finally, Eli, in his wicked state, said, I think God's calling you. I'm telling you right now that God probably is in the business of calling you even today. Open up your ears. And to go back to that little statement about Jesus would never hate anyone or do anything that was abrupt. Oh, really? You may want to hang on. Buckle up, buttercup, for a moment. Here's two verses. You don't need to stand up. Are you tired? It's okay. I'm not tired. I'm sitting down. And not only so, but let's go to, let's go to Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23. What's this? You know this one. Wrong one. King James. And then I will profess unto them. Who's saying this? Say Jesus. I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. I don't think you're hearing me. This is Jesus. He said, on that day, I'll, I'll, I will profess unto them that I never knew you. Depart from me, everybody that works iniquity. All you workers of iniquity. Remember we deal with this? He didn't say, depart from me, iniquity. He said, depart from me, anybody that works iniquity. Look what the message Bible said. It's pretty funny. Knowing the correct password and saying, abracadabra, master, master, for instance isn't going to get you anywhere with me. Jesus is saying this. What is required is serious obedience. Did you know that's what's missing in this church and most churches is obedience to the Father? Did you know that? Did you know that? Serious obedience? Not your little Christian cliches or your lapels that you wear on your sleeve. I could care less. Your magic words of master, master, abracadabra, it doesn't matter. He said, he said, watch it, doing what my father wills. And, and I can see it now at the final judgment. He says, thousands strutting up to me and saying, master, we preach the message. We bash demons. 
our super spiritual projects had everyone talking. And do you know what I'm going to say to them? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one little bit. <laughs> Welcome, thou good and faithful servant. <laughs> You're out of here. What kind of Jesus would say that? What kind of New Testament gospel would say that? You're not going to hear this most churches because that, because that offends you. The gospel is very offensive, ladies and gentlemen. I don't have to say anything. All I got to do is just show it on the scripture and you'll get offended if, if you're not. And, and this is what I'm saying. Even Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Workers, individuals. I never knew you. You just saying a few magic words, thinking that impressed me, and it doesn't. You missed the boat. You missed it. So, let's end this. What about Joshua 24, 15? Now I got him. Choose this day whom you'll serve, but as far as me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Everybody heard that? Yeah. That's not what the Bible says. Y'all need to stand up. I just stood up. So you have a plaque on your, on your wall that says, tune this day who you'll serve, but as far as me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. That's not what the scripture says at all. You mean prove it to you? Thank you. Joshua says, if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, there you go. Here we go. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, then here you go. Then choose this day whom you'll serve. You only have two options. If it's not in you to serve the Lord, you only have two options. It's not God and the other gods. It's only two options. If it seems evil in your heart, this world, is you do not want to submit to the word of the Father. You don't want to submit to the will of the Father. You don't want to submit to the teaching of Jesus. So you're going to be a slave to someone or something. So here's your two options. Number one, your option is you're going to serve the gods that your father served on the other side of the flood, which was in Egypt's time, the flood of Euphrates or the Jordan River. You're going to serve one or two gods. You're going to serve the God that your father served in past, or you're going to serve the God of your Amorites that you're living with today. Choose you an addiction. I told you a few Sundays ago, homosexuality is not a sin to be punished. Homosexuality is the punishment of their sin. And they're living with it. Meth addict, drunkard, fearful. Did you know fearful is in Revelations? One of the seven is abomination. Somebody say, I'm fearful. Don't read Revelation 22 because I'm or 21 because fearful is in there. I'm glad I'm not a hoe. I'm glad I'm not a drunkard. Well, you're fearful. You're in there. Be careful. That's what it says. So you don't, Joshua 24 and 15 is not saying, Michael, choose, choose this day, choose you an addiction or choose the Lord. That's not what he's saying. He said, choose you an addiction. If serving the Lord is evil in your heart, remember the word evil backwards is live, the life of God, Zoe, the life of God. So if it's evil in your heart not to serve the Lord, then here's the deal. You're going to, you're going to be a slave to one of them. So whether it be meth, alcohol, pride, arrogancy, Whatever it may be, you're going to be a slave to something in this world because there's no such thing as being a free will in your own life. You'll be a slave to something. The people that are, that are being bondage and addictions right now, there's people that is evil to serve God. Here's the deal. He's not telling you that you can pick A, pick one of these gods or pick God. That's not what he's saying. You only have two options. If serving God is evil in your life, then you have two options. Number one, either you're going to serve the God that your father served back in Egypt with polytheism, or you're going to serve the God of the Amorites, which is sexual sins. Asherah. The Amorites were sexual sins. Pervertedness. Bestiality. It's all there. But you're going to serve one of them. But me? Me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Isn't that a kick in the head? Don't you wish you hadn't known that? Joshua 24 is not saying choose righteousness for unrighteousness. He's not saying that. 
He said, if, if it's not in your heart to love God and honor God and serve God, then you will be a slave to an addiction. Hate, rage, anger, meth, alcohol, gossip. The list goes on. But as far as me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You do what you want to do. I ain't got time to worry about the world. They're going to do what they're going to do. All I'm going to tell you right now, as far as me and my house, I'm glad to be addicted to God. I'm glad I'm a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. This will make you happy. We're done. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. I'll read the verse and I'll tell you a little story. Because our whole context of Scripture has got to be correct. For the invisible things of Him, which is God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power. And the Godhead, and so that these people are without excuse. Now, if you don't know this, the first century, the gospel was pretty well spread the first century before the disciples were murdered. They went to regions declaring the gospel. Whether they accept it or not, we we know for a fact. But here's what I want to tell you. That God has taken the invisible things of His nature and His glory and which are invisible and He has demonstrated to the visible to help us see the invisible work that's going on. That makes sense? No. When I was about 12 years old, my father... And I, but my father, not I to it, my father, we owned Brittany bird dog puppies, spaniels. We had a litter of Brittany puppies. They're cute. And so my father, we, we quail hunted. We bird hunted. That's what we did. I, I've never shot a deer in my life. I don't want to shoot one. But I used to quail hunt a lot. That's what we did growing up. I owned my first 12-gauge shotgun when I was 10. And I still am a gun advocate. I love guns. It's okay. I love them. I don't have to apologize for nothing. I like them. I carry them. I don't let my wife carry them at all, but I carry them. She took her concealment one time. She never shot. I went to get her concealed license. This is true. And it was raining the day before. And I said, well, just, just run. Yeah, it was true. I took her out to Steve's house and it was raining. And she had to go qualify for the shoot the next day. And it was raining. So we went out to his house. He's got a place out there in the country. So I said, here, we're going to be a gangster. It's raining. I said, just roll down the window and start shooting. That's what she did, you know, and uh, in the car. So we, we go to the qualification the next day, and the guy sets up the target, and it's a guy standing there, and he said, we're going to shoot three times. So she backs off about from here. To, I don't know, maybe Brother Don, Sister Donna, and she pulls the trigger, and I promise you, the first shot got him right between the eyes. And the instructor said, we're done. You know, <laughs> that's what he said. Raised bird dog puppies. At eight, age eight weeks, they're weaned. They're weaned. It means they're off their mama. And I'll tell you, that first litter, there was about eight of them. And oh, I mean, they got the long ears, the fringed ears. And they're wonderful. I mean, I just love them. I just loved them. I mean, they were like a cotton ball with four legs, you know, and just, and my dad said, two of them, we're going to keep two of them. And it was tough for a little boy to have eight puppies, let six go. You know, it's kind of like, you know, we had four kids and I told him one day, I said, due to recession, we got, won't let one of y'all go. So we sent one of them off. It was boy, yeah. But anyway, he's trying to come back. I won't take him. But, but he said, he said, Saturday morning at 12 weeks old, we're going, you're going to go with me to Edmond. And I said, okay. And he didn't tell me, he said, we're going to load these pups up. We're going to take them somewhere. And I said, are we getting rid of them? And he goes, no, we're going to take them to a school. I said, okay. Here I am, 12. So little did I know when we pull up there, this is what they call a field trial school. It's where they train bird dogs to hunt. Take commands. <laughs> I should have took my kids there. And, and they were going to teach them commands and so on and so on. And they're just 12 weeks, just, just 12 weeks old. I mean, they're just still, they're, you know, they're wrestling and biting one another. You know, they're only about that tall and... And so we get them out and the guy walks out and, and greets my father. And, and it's a real nice place out in the country. And he looked at me, he said, uh, 
he shook my hand, big guy. He said, you know what we're going to do with your puppies? And I said, no, sir. And he said, we're going to teach them how to be good trained dogs. I said, okay. And so uh, he told my dad, he said, here, I'll show you something. So he said, bring your pups with you. And he did. And the guy was reaching his pickup and he had a fishing pole and he, and he had a wing on it. It was a bird wing. It was a quail wing. It wasn't like deep fried. It was like a wing. And, and the dogs were still in the back and he takes it. And I watched him and this guy takes us and he throws it. It's got a little weight on it. And he throws it out there, I guess, back to where Mark is and out there in the grass. And he said, let your puppies down. So I took them and they were still fighting. There's a little boy and girl. They're still fighting. I thought they was married. And they're just still fighting, you know, and rolling around. And then, and then after they rolled around a little bit, one of them just stopped and went. And, you know, I didn't have a clue what was going on. And he kind of made his way that direction. And the, and the little girl followed him. And then I could tell she kind of got a little slower in her pace. And the closer they got to that bird wing, they almost stood still. They couldn't see it because grass was about that high. And to this day, I remember this picture. They probably got from here to that red plant. Immediately, that little puppy of mine did this. And I go, what in the wide world of sports is going on here? And that big guy looked at me. He said, look at there. It's already in him. Now, I'll tell you, the instructor didn't say, now, are y'all watching this? Are you two watching this? Quit wrestling. This is what you've got to do. And the instructor didn't do this. God has taken the invisible things and he's manifested it to external things to let you know that the kingdom of God is in you. And somehow, in some way, at the right moment, that when you heard the call of God, you immediately gravitated to it. Because, because that's who they are on the inside. They're pointers. You can take a Labrador and a poodle to the lake, set them side by side. The duck will fly over. You can shoot the duck. The duck will fall into the water. The Labrador will run to the water. The poodle will run to the car. Why is that? Because it's in him. I'm quitting. I'm quitting. For all in this world that's going on, tribulation, trials, the unknown, the hate, the rage, the deception, the false doctrines, the false spirits, the car salesmen in the mega churches, all that still is going on. But here's the deal. But, but, but when God's people who are born of truth, hears truth, they gravitate to it. And the poodle said, I'm out of here. Well, you, you go to the car. But from the foundation of the earth, I was called to acknowledge him. It's in you. The kingdom's in you. And the Bible says in Romans 1 and 20 that he's taken the invisible things and he's put them in you. And it's now being demonstrated and exhibited that the whole world will know that Christ lives because of your heart and they'll stand before him without excuse because of the life that you live in front of them. I'm done. We'll get on John 3.16 after Christmas. How about that? Thank you. Yeah. We'll just kick it in the head. you love it. What makes me gravitate towards him? Oh, everybody does it. Really? What, what makes me want to follow him? Well, everybody does. Really? Evidently, you don't live in the same world I do. What makes me want to glorify him and honor him? Well, everybody in church does it. Nah. 
What makes me want to set him apart that there's none like him? Well, everybody in the church does it. That's not happening. And I will tell you, I don't have all the answers to any of that, but this is all I know. When I hear his voice, I gravitate to him. When I hear his word, I move towards him. When he speaks softly to me, I go towards him. Then I wait upon him and I trust him because his kingdom is in me this moment. And let's quit with this. John 10, my sheep hear my voice and they will follow and they will come to me. I'm so thankful this morning not to tell you that God is against sinners. I'm not celebrating going ding dong, the witches. I'm not happy about anything that happened in the Old Testament or people that will be removed from his kingdom. I'm not celebrating anything. My heart is going out. I'm just telling you this morning, I'm so thankful that I heard his voice. I'm so thankful that somehow he put something invisible in me while I was still yet a sinner that I would respond to his call. How, do I, how did my puppy know how to point? I don't know that. He didn't read a book. We didn't watch a video. I don't know. It's just any. Why did you submit and surrender the day you did? I don't know. But evidently God put it in your heart. And I'm thankful for that. Amen. Twenty years of this is bottled up. See, it'll all come out one day. Father, for what all that it is worth, I don't really understand all the mechanics of your sovereign grace. I don't understand how it works. I don't understand the blueprints of it. All I know is one thing, that those that have been called by you, those that have been set in motion by you, those from the foundation of the earth that has been ordained to hear and receive eternal life. If today is that day, let it occur today. Years ago as a boy, when I watched the innocent puppy transform into what it was always designed to be without the persuasion of an outside influence of the free will doctrine, but it was pre-designed in him, the point. Your word declares in the book of Jeremiah, as a girdle was designed to cleave to the waistband of a man, so I was created to cleave towards you. As the moth is drawn to the flame of the candle, O Lord, he says, so I'm drawn to you by your goodness. What is it that called us to you? How could it be that while we were still yet in a simple nature, that we were drawn to your goodness? Thank you this morning for your divine election. Thank you for your sovereign calling in my life. Thank you. Thank you when I was dead in my sins and trespasses. I could not speak. I could not say anything for myself. I could not help myself. There was no outside persuasions. Thank you for calling me. Thank you for resurrecting my life. And I'll live for you and I'll serve you with joy and gladness and thankfulness all the days of my life. And I will carry this gospel. I'll carry your kingdom. I will declare your glory wherever we go for those that will hear the word of God and respond to the word of God. That's our obligation and duty today. And as Jesus said, and for all those that will respond to the word of God in the days and the years and the generations and the centuries to come, because of these men's word, so that is our heartbeat this morning. We'll continue to carry the gospel of the blood of Christ wherever we go in Jesus' name. And all the people of God say amen. Isn't God good? Stand with me this morning. Give the Lord a praise offering, huh? Can we just give the Lord a praise offering for a moment? Turn about two people say, you okay? You all right? I mean, your, your wig fell over? Your makeup smeared off? Everything all right? Yeah. If the communions will please make their way to come, the servers.
We celebrate Holy Communion every week. It's a reminder of the blood of Christ, the body of Christ. I'm just glad to tell you this morning that not only that your faith was activated, but God caused your faith to come alive. And I'm so thankful for that. Now, what about my children? What about my grandchildren? That's a great question. We'll deal with that. But this is the confidence that we have in Him that the Bible declares to us and tells us that our children and children's children, that we believe with all of our heart will know Him because of our steadfastness and our love and our commitment. That's the confidence that I have in my Father. And even though that they're away, and even though that they may not be living it right now, but this is your responsibility, live the life. Set the standard. That night he sat with his disciples and he took the bread and the cup, these two sacraments, and he took the bread and he said, for, for over 1,500 years, you've been celebrating this ordinance of the unleavened bread. John 6 records it, that my father poured bread from heaven and your fathers did eat of it and they hungered again. But Jesus said, I am the bread of life and if any man eats of me, he will never hunger again. And they ate the bread. Then he took the cup. There was four cups that night. The third cup was the cup of redemption. And he lifted up and he said, for 1500 years, you've been celebrating the lamb's blood. And the lamb's blood was taken and placed in the shape of a cross upon the doorpost of that homes that first night. And when Abaddon or the death angel would see the blood upon the doorpost in the shape of a cross, that it would pass over the house. And Jesus said, now then, as it was said of me, I am the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And my Father will now take my blood and place it in the shape of a cross. And the death angel will pass over you once again. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, this morning we do these two things. We remember the body of Christ and we're gonna remember the blood of Christ. And we have, have been justified by the atonement work of Christ's blood. And wherever we go and whatever that we do, let us celebrate in the calling of God in our life. And now then let us go into the world and declare that Jesus is Lord. In Christ's name, amen.